Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. How do you use a financial advisor in a collaborative divorce? So let's dive in. So today we're here with Beth Gregg again, who's a wealth manager, CDFA, and financial divorce planner with Fairview Strategic Partners. And we are going to talk about collaborative divorce and the use of a financial professional in the collaborative divorce process. Yes, and I'm also with LPL Financial. They are my broker-dealer, and to satisfy their compliance, I'm going to read the following Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member of FINRA, SIPC. Now we got to do it right. We do. All right. Well, the collaborative divorce is getting a little bit more and more um, mainstream. People are learning more and more about it, but they don't often know how to bring in the partners um, that the collaborative process lets us bring in. And one of my favorite resources in a collaborative divorce is to bring in a financial neutral. But most of the time, you know, we, we do go through a fair amount to explain to our clients why we're doing it and what they're exactly going to do. So why don't you explain from your perspective, what does a financial neutral, um, what role do they play in a collaborative divorce? A financial neutral is, first of all, if they're working with the husband and the wife, they're impartial, they're not advocates for either side, and they allow for a free flow of information among all parties. And the bottom line work that a financial neutral provides is producing financial documents that the couple or the individual will need to assist the lawyer in coming up with a good separation agreement. And as a financial neutral, you're looking at their income-producing assets as well as their sort of static assets like cars or, or, or other things that typically lose value instead of gain value. And you're also looking at cash flow, correct? Correct. There are really three pieces, um, the budget and the balance sheet and then some discussion and numbers running so the attorney can come up with a good alimony and child support number. So what would you tell when you're first meeting with the husband and the wife? What do you ask them to bring to the first meeting or do you just have them come and and discuss that with them there? Well, I do like to talk to people first without a lot of numbers running around and and really try to get everybody to understand the purpose of my role. And they need to come to trust me at some point. 
particularly if they're sharing their financial life. Now, most people understand you're getting divorced. There's no hiding the numbers. They're going to be discovered one way or the other. So what I love about being a financial neutral is it's a safe space. You know, my job is to control the emotion on both sides and really cut to the important piece, which is what are the numbers? What are the assets that are out there? What is the budget now as a family unit? And then what are both parties going to need in the future? So the first step, again, get to know the people involved, um, work with the attorneys and see if they have any issues that need to specifically be brought forward. And then I ask the couple to bring numbers to me. So if we're working on a budget, we're going to be looking at bank statements, credit card statements, anything that shows how the family lived prior to the divorce. So basically, they need to be prepared to review anything out there that they use to meet their daily, monthly, and annual expenses. Absolutely. So any savings accounts, any credit cards that they're using, like you said, checking, savings, but really anything that they rely on yes. to fund fund their life. Right. And that can be very intimidating for people, particularly for the spouse who's not paying the bills. But there are some easy ways to collect that data, and I try to point them in the right direction so they don't feel that this is a big burden. It's hard enough getting divorced, and then the thought of going through pages and pages of paper is pretty daunting for some people. So I um, work with people and show them how they can go online and download end-of-year statements that are summarized for them. For example, the credit card companies do a lot of that. How to download your bank statement or tell them what they need to get from their banker. And then if they can create their own budget, that's great. I can guide them through that process. If they feel like that's not a neutral way to do this, then we'll actually run the numbers in my office. We'll take all the information and put it into budget form that then I can take and talk separately with the husband. What does he think about this budget? And then go to the wife as well. Again, I'm trying to create some space between the couple, keep the conversation neutral, but they do have opinions and thoughts that they want to share with me. And then my job is to kind of digest all that and see what the hot buttons are, bring it up in a neutral way, and try to get some of that resolved. So by processing that general information, we develop a family budget. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I like having a family neutral in that role, because as a divorce attorney, we're trained to collect the same information from our client and we collect the information via the other attorney from their client. But what is different is, is that our clients see us as advocates first and foremost about everything. So to try to have a neutral discussion with them about the numbers is actually more difficult. It just doesn't land the way that we want it to because if you try to say anything that's neutral or anything that perhaps seems like you might be 
sharing an opinion <laughs> that their spouse has, has held or, um, you know, discussed about money, it suddenly looks as if you're flipping to the other side. When in reality, we are really in the beginning just trying to understand how has the family spent? What is the historic pattern of spending? No judgment, just information and understanding and making sure that we're not missing anything. And I just find that a financial neutral does that so much more efficiently, so much more quickly, and with a lot less drama is the wrong word, but a lot less angst on the part of the parties. And so I think it works really beautifully. And you've worked on it in both cases that are collaborative and non-collaborative. And would you not say it's really harder for the attorneys to get this information? It really is. And I like having the attorney be a true advocate for their client and not having to kind of step into the middle as you were articulating. But I can do that because, again, I'm looking at the big picture. The numbers are what they are. There's no debating what somebody spent at Walmart last year. Right. And and it's on paper. And, again, I find it takes a lot of the emotion out of the process. So then when we turn over budgets to you, then you can start advocating for your client, not based on what happened last year, but what they are going to need in the future. Now, that's that's the where the dial gets turned. So we start out trying to really understand historically how the family has spent money. But then we have to turn our attention to how are each of them going to spend money going forward if it's going to be off of the same income stream. Exactly. Um, once you've divided it into two ho- households. So talk a little bit about how you then transition after you've gotten all of the numbers on the household budget to then being able to go, okay, this looks to be husband's expenses going forward and this looks to be wife's expenses going forward based on the history. Yes. So one thing that I do need from the couple in addition to general bank statements credit card statements, is also their income. That's either looking at a tax return or their W-2s and looking at what is the take-home pay. They need health insurance. They have to pay taxes. So I can help frame the conversation and prepare them to go back to their attorney with reasonable expectations. I know you have talked to many, many people who said, oh, my friend down the street got, you know, half of whatever income and anyway, totally unacceptable, not following the law, but it sounds good. Mm -hmm. And I can set people up with proper information. So by the time they go back to their attorney, they have a better frame of reference. That's true. And how much work do you do with helping them really fill in the gaps or holes because I find that when I go through the financial affidavits or the financial budgets there are so many areas that people forget to speak to so how do you work through to make sure you've really captured everything well my budget spreadsheet is much more detailed than the financial affidavit on purpose and I incur well and also if we're processing the account information in our office, we may have two or three different line items that are very unique to that client. Mm -hmm. Tutoring for a child, camps, 
special trips to see parents that might be unique to one family over another. We will be very specific in our base budget. And then, again, I'll work with the, both spouses to look at the need for those, what's critical. And then that gets consolidated onto the financial affidavit. But again, it gives everybody a voice in what's important. And what was important about what happened last year helps them think about their priorities for the years going forward. Because two households are much more expensive than one. So there are going to be changes for the budget. And, and I know that's the hard part for you because people don't always want to give up the lifestyle that they had, but in many cases, it's unavoidable. In fact, in most all cases, it's unavoidable. I find it very rare that there has always been enough discretionary income just sitting aside that no one's had any need for, for them to, to continue both to meet the same level of expenses and spending that they do you know, when they're together is when they're separate. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's a big adjustment, I know. The cash flow is certainly important. And I think that when you come to the table and you've done the budget and you've really gone through the documents to get those numbers, do you not find that it's a little easier to get them to accept that this isn't what somebody else wants to spend and this isn't what somebody else thinks they need to spend, but this is actually what they were what they did spend, and you know it because you went through all the records. You didn't actually ask them to fill out the form. Yes, there's no making it up. We are not putting a number on the spreadsheet unless it's listed it had been spent. But it's still, you can imagine, the husband has something to say about the wife's expenses, and the wife has something to say about the husband's expenses. But I can generally point out that in most cases, it's a wash. And it does allow me then to focus their attention on what are their basic needs that they are going to have to pay for. My budget spreadsheet is broken up into home, food, non-food, personal, and then the not essential. And that helps people see, okay, what do we have to pay for? Well, we have to have a home and food mm-hmm. and a car and gas. So an insurance and insurance Lots of insurance. Right. <laughs> well, and do you start with the um, cash flow analysis or do you start with the asset spreadsheet um, typically when you're working as a neutral or does it just depend on what's the priority in each case that you work on? I like to do the budget first because that that's a very, very important conversation. However, before I get a couple to agree on the budget numbers specifically, I want to do the asset worksheet because there are some assets that will produce money. An investment account, not for retirement necessarily, but just money in the bank. It could kick off a certain amount of interest or money to cover living expenses. There might be 529 accounts for the children, which means that we can shut down some of the college conversation if that comes up. So I do most of this at the same time, which is a bit of a burden for the family. They do have to produce not only their bank records, their savings account records, their credit card statements, tax returns, but now we're talking about a statement for every asset that they own. 
Now, the attorneys are still playing a role in this because they're communicating with you as you go through the process and making sure that you've gotten all the documents, that everyone's been forthcoming. And they're also sometimes communicating with you any discussions that the attorneys have had, for example, if the parties have already discussed selling the home, to make sure that you're aware that neither one of them is going to be continuing to live in the home. They're, they're both going to be looking at other areas. So when you're looking at how to, looking at the assets, obviously the attorneys are very involved and their clients are very involved in how they want to divide things. But what do you add to the conversation with the clients about where whether an asset is a good choice of something that they should keep or perhaps would be something that would be more advantageous for the other spouse to keep? Well, you brought up a good point. So I'm never working in isolation. I'm usually emailing the attorneys throughout the whole process. Maybe both attorneys and I are having a conversation. Here's where we are. Like you said, what documents do we still need to get? Or I've worked with families who are in crisis, financial crisis, and I could help the couple work on some debt issues or have the conversations. Do we keep the house or sell the house? How does that look? What happens to the money after the house is sold? The attorneys have to be involved in that conversation. So I'm always, um, we're, we're a team. We're working as a team the whole time, which is great. But to your question about a home or if some if the couple needs cash right away, is there an asset that could be sold so that both parties have money to live on? There are different conversations. If somebody loses their job in the middle of the process or somebody's getting a job in the middle of the process or a child gets sick. So I handle, as you do, whatever pops up at the moment. Now, what are some tips that you would want listeners to have about how they can most effectively work with a financial neutral and and keep the cost down and make sure that the product that they have at the end of, of your analysis is as concrete and reliable as it can possibly be? First of all, you need someone who's actually done this work before. Not that I didn't do a fine job on my first case. However, experience allows me to move faster. I know what the attorneys are looking for. I have the documents to be completed. I have my own process. And I also think you need to find a person that you can have a conversation with. You need to be able to trust them. I don't want either side thinking that I'm going to go talk to the other one and be unfair. And that's really important to have the trust level there, to have the attorneys trust the person that you choose as your neutral. And actually, a lot of times the attorneys are recommending a neutral. So you would want to meet them and, again, make sure that you felt comfortable. You want to be heard, but you need to be able to listen to their advice as well. Now, I've worked with a lot of financial advisors and and definitely have worked with you. And I noticed that the financial advisors in collaborative cases are very good about keeping everyone copied in the email communications and also being very clear when they're going to be breaking up and meeting with 
the clients separately. I've always noticed it was very good that they would at some point say, oh, and I'm meeting with Rob Thursday at 10, and then I'm meeting with Sue Tuesday at 5, and just very open about, look, I need to have some one-on-one because I need to make sure I'm getting 100% of the information I need and that neither one of you are holding back when you're in the room together. But I think that sometimes the clients forget that they need to expect that, that most of the communication is going to be shared because you are neutral. Yes, exactly. And sometimes they don't like that necessarily because they would really like for everybody to be in their camp. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the role of a neutral. That is your role as that person's attorney to take up their point of view and fight for what they need. And I know that you're usually good and everyone is really good about when it starts getting positional is t- turning them back to their attorney if they have a positional question. Yes. Um, like, wouldn't it be better if and shouldn't he do this or shouldn't she do this? Generally, the neutral is going to turn those questions back. The shoulds. Yes, absolutely. Are going to go back yes. to the attorney because you're dealing more with the. And legal questions. Yes. Not my bailiwick at all. Now, what is the benefit, because you both serve in a collaborative capacity, as well as sometimes you're chosen to be an expert in contested cases. So explain, if you can, how you see the process differ for collaborative cases in terms of just how it works for the parties differently than contested cases. Well, it's interesting, actually, It's all about the numbers, and they don't lie, and I don't make them up. So even if I'm going to court to defend numbers that I've put on a piece of paper, I still have all the backup data, which is good for me because you'd hate to go to court and have to press a financial case and make up information. I mean, that's not right. And so it's good for me. One way or the other, it's going to fall back on what the numbers are. So in a collaborative case, they can trust that the numbers are just as valid as if you were doing the work just for them. You're going to come to the same result, aren't you? Yes, you are. You really are. And then I tell them how beneficial it is to stay out of the courtroom if you can. And a lot of times, the other party is just not going to cooperate. And then being a financial neutral would not work for some people. So one of the other things that I think is wonderful about having a financial neutral, and I'll just kind of put this out here in the collaborative cases, we're doing this all above board. We're sharing information. We're trying to make sure the whole intent of the agreement is what's reached. We're not trying to advantage somebody in some tiny detail. So we circulate the collaborative documents. And I know my practice is to share the collaborative documents, the final work that we do, whether it's an agreement or consent order, with my financial neutral to make sure that they don't see something that we've missed in the way we've documented it. And that's that's an advantage of the financial neutral in a collaborative case that we don't have in cases where we're just hiring an expert. So talk a little bit about how you can flush out some of the property agreements and and the language that can make a difference in in the final documentation? Well, first of all, I would make sure that the document reflected the conversations that we'd had. And I'm providing the basis of, of an agreement, basically. And so I can double check account numbers, 
the values that are assigned to each party based on the worksheets that we'd agreed to. And then if there's retirement money to be moved over, I might see that instead of taking so much money out of the 401k, it might be more beneficial to take it from somewhere else. How do you split between the husband and wife most efficiently? Maybe you've got shares with a, a high gain in them, and I can will recognize that and alert the attorneys that the split needs to be worded a little bit differently so it's fair. Correct. And, and I've noticed that not all attorneys, because I think a lot of attorneys look into it in great detail, but it's very easy to miss when you're looking at the investment statements and you're looking at just data in a snapshot, like this account has this much money on this day. Sometimes when there's a lot of accounts, it's not the attorney that catches how that account is invested. And I know as financial neutrals, we've been really happy to have financial neutrals say, well, this particular account is incredibly conservative. It's never going to gain anything. This is a really aggressive account. And right now it's like returns like crazy. And and just really making sure that everybody understands that all of the funds are sometimes set up very, very differently. And that that needs to be taken into consideration when we're dividing them. Because you could have two accounts, one that has 100000 and another that has 100000 and everybody's saying, oh, well, you keep that one plus and minus gains and in interest, and you keep that one plus and minus gains and in interest. And sometimes it's a financial neutral that goes, whoa, 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 this one is is producing a ton, and this one isn't. And you're not going to, they're not going to each end up with right the same amount. And not only that, and you brought this up earlier, at the beginning, if I look at assets, there might be some assets that need to be repositioned early on because you don't want to go eight months down the road you have an agreement and then an asset that's going to one party or the other the value has gone down significantly I mean that could be a home Mm -hmm. where the market fell apart and now everything needs to be redivided so I try to look out for that and be prepared up front right yeah well When you're working with this, I want you to make sure you explain for the listeners. So if they're working with a financial neutral, what are things that a financial neutral is not allowed to do after they've helped a couple through a collaborative case? Right. Well, first of all, I'll say this again. We can never give legal advice. And then secondly, we're not supposed to help either party in the future. Right. Um, you don't you don't get business out of this where right. you can do their investments going yes, forward. Yes. Or do their taxes if you're a CPA. I mean, you're supposed to wall yourself off. It takes the incentive away from directing assets or promoting your business when you're in the middle of doing the collaborative work. And that's one of the reasons that you stay neutral is you're getting the fee that everyone's agreed to pay you to do the job through right. the process. Yes. But you really have nothing else to gain from getting going through their numbers and, and getting into their assets. Yes. So you're not in competition with whoever their broker or financial person might be. Right. And often I'll work with their financial person. They're a great source of information. And they understand, of course, that you're not actually going to be taking business either. So yes, they can work with it. What's the thing that you like best about working with couples that find themselves in the divorcing situation that choose the collaborative route? I love the results. 
One, it's more efficient, not only from a cost standpoint, but just a time standpoint. I have seen divorce cases drag on for years, and it's so it can be so damaging to the family, and I don't think that's necessary. Again, sometimes you have to go to court. It's the only way you're going to get the other party to cooperate. But if you've got a husband and wife and they're willing to give this a try, I think it's a wonderful way to start, at least. I have also seen people who've gone the court route, not gotten very far, and turn. they basically say, okay, let's try a different way. And again, with good attorneys and someone to steer them, they make it happen. It can work this way. Well, thanks for coming and, and sharing some more insight from your perspective about how this works, because I do think that as more and more people investigate uh, collaborative law, they need to really understand who all the players are going to be. Yes. Thank you, Lee. Elizabeth Gregg, financial advisor with LPL Financial and managing partner with Fairview Strategic Partners, securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. So there you have it, another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here, so I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, thankfully it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.